When you're in the third grade, Kmart is a huge place, especially when you're lost. Uh, growing up, we had a Kmart uh, just you know a few minutes away from our house. Uh, now I don't think there are any anywhere, but um, I, I can remember going to that store many times over the years. And I I loved uh, one thing I loved about Kmart was the little machines in the front where you'd put a quarter in and you could get a little plastic football helmet. Anybody else do the football helmets and you'd fight at recess and whoever the the thing would sprung off and then you'd win the helmet. Any that doesn't have anything to do with the sermon. Just a little extra for you, but um, just a little you know walking down memory lane but uh so I like that at the front but then I we'd go in the doors and I'd all I can still picture in my mind you turn left and you head down and, and I'd head straight to the Hot Wheels aisle right because they had so many Hot Wheels cars and they were only actually back then it seemed like a lot but they were only 99 cents now you know there's collectors and they're three million dollars a piece and all those things but uh I'd always head to the to the Hot Wheels aisle uh not necessarily paying attention to where the rest of the family was headed that night. So I remember specifically one night going to Kmart, uh, uh, enjoying myself in the toy section, ogling all of the Hot Wheels cars. When I was finished and I'd made my selection with my dollar bill in my pocket, I came out the aisle and I looked around and I realized that I had absolutely no idea where anybody was that I'd come with. It's that, that awful sinking feeling when you realize that you're lost, right? That, that urgency to find a familiar place or a familiar face, right? And, and uh, until you find that, you, you've got this, this, this lost feeling. And so I felt that I was lost and Kmart was huge. <laughs> and, uh, and so I looked all over the store frantically trying to find my family. Finally, I went to the front desk. I remember I was crying. They broadcast my name over the blue light special speaker, right? And, uh, and, uh, and sure enough, my parents came and, and uh, we were reunited again. There was something kind of cool that I remember about that, uh, that situation. When we were reunited, I found out that they had been just as frantic as I had been because I was lost. Something, uh, something uh, unique, and I, I think somewhere in there that'll preach. Maybe we'll get to something like that today. But you know that feeling of, of, of being lost, uh, or maybe the feeling, as we've talked about over this series, that feeling of losing something important, you know, like losing your child in the store, hashtag parenting goals, or I don't know, whatever. Anyway, uh, uh, I've heard more than once of people accidentally accidentally leaving their kids at church on a Sunday morning, right? And going home, they thought the other spouse had them. I think maybe it was that whole Samuel thing where, where you know, you're just going to dedicate them to God, which means you deal with them, right? But uh, I, don't, don't do that. Um, it wouldn't, wouldn't be good for them or for me, probably. But uh, uh, anyway, wait, wait. We, we know what it feels like to be lost, and you know what it feels like to lose something important. We've been here in the quote, the lost and found, for a couple of weeks now, and, and we're looking at these three stories in Luke chapter 15, all about lost things, right? Jesus told stories, parables, illustrating spiritual truths to, to help people understand how God's kingdom worked. And so through these parables so far, we've learned that, that, that lost things, that lost people, uh, matter to God. So several key themes run, uh, through, run through all three of these stories, uh, but the most important is that lost people matter to God. That, that 
that was important to the sinners in the crowd that day, and that was Jesus' primary uh, uh, audience that day as he's speaking, he, and, and they needed to hear that lost people mattered to God because they were lost. They weren't necessarily following what God wanted, and so the, recognizing that God cared about them was, was a big deal. The, the, the Pharisees and the church leaders and the teachers of the law that were scattered around the outskirts of that crowd that day also needed to hear that because, uh, because they needed to realize that lost people weren't people to look down their noses at, but people to seek after and to find and to bring into the fold. So lost people matter to God. And we've seen, we've looked, walked through those first two stories so far. One about a lost sheep and the other about a lost coin. And if you miss those messages, you can access them uh, on the, the video page uh, on the website and, and uh, dive into all that and, and get caught up in all those kinds of things. That's great. But uh, the last story is where we're, where we're at today. It's, it's, uh, it's a little bit different than the first two in that it's much longer, has a lot more detail, and, and it's uh, probably pretty well-known, pr- probably the most well-known uh, uh, parable uh, that, that Jesus told, the, the, the sto- what we know as the uh, story of the prodigal son, Right? Starts in verse 11, Luke chapter 15, verse 11, goes clear to the end of the chapter, and, and uh, I'd love for you to open up your, uh, your Bible or, or your device and, and look at that, um, because we'll be you know, referring to different parts of that during the message. But today, rather than putting the, that actual uh, uh, passage up on the, uh, the jumbotron today, uh, I'd, I'd like to, I, I ran across this week, and I, I thought it'd be fun uh, to, um, to do this version. I guess, well, it's not a Bible, it's... It, Anyway, it's, it's Luke chapter, it's a paraphrase, it's a, it's a reciting, it's, I have probably shared it before, maybe in a life group, maybe even preached uh, in, a, in a sermon at some point in years past. I ran across it this week, had fun with it, and uh, it's, it's the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, 11 to 32, in the key of F. Don't worry, I'm not going to sing. Feeling footloose and frisky, a feather-brained freshman from Fargo named Fred forced his father to fork over the family fortune. Feeling free, Fred flew far to fancy foreign fields, finding foolish frivolities, frequent fornication, and fabulous feasting with faithless friends. Fred frittered away his father's fortune, fleeced by his friends in folly. Fully fatigued and facing famine, Fred found himself a feed flinger in a filthy farmyard with fungus on his face and a fistful of fresh, fragrant fertilizer. Phooey, what a fiasco. The frazzled fugitive, forlornly fumbled, frankly facing facts. My father's flunkies fare far finer. Freezing, frightened, and frustrated by failure, Fred fled forthwith to his Fargo family, filled with fear and foreboding. Falling at his father's feet, he forlornly fumbled. Father, I've flunked and fruitlessly forfeited family favor. Frankly, I've flopped. Fortunately for Fred, the far-sighted father said, fantastic, and forgetting Fred's failings, frantically flagged the flunkies to furnish Fred a fashionable flannel, uh, fetch a fatling from the flock, and fix a feast. But Fred's fault-finding brother Farley flew into a fit, frowning on Fred's fancy footwork and his father's fickle forgiveness. Fred's a fool, said Farley. But the faithful father figured, filial fidelity is fine, Farley, but the fugitive is found. What forbids fervent festivity? Let flags be unfurled. Let the fiddles and, find the fiddles and flutes. Let fanfares flare. The father's forgiveness formed the foundation for Fred, the former fugitive's future fortitude. 
That is the prodigal son in the key of F. So it probably stretches things a little bit, right? But uh, kind of fun to, to look at in a different angle. Uh, uh, but the story is familiar. This, uh, we, we usually say that this story is about a lost son. That's even the title. of. So in, in Luke 15, maybe your, your Bible is the same as mine. It, it says... Uh, uh, the, the parable of the lost sheep, and then the next section, parable of the lost coin, and then it says the parable of the lost son. Uh, we've, we've called him prodigal, right? Uh, but I think it's really, instead, it's really about two lost sons and a prodigal father. Hang with me, we'll unpack that. For, for many years, I understood the word prodigal meant, you know, without really looking it up or anything. You hear about the prodigal son, and, and you know what the prodigal son did. And so uh, prodigal probably means something like lost or, or wayward or rebellious, something like that, right? And so we just, that's just what, the, the, the prod, what prodigal must mean. This, this young man took his father's money. He ran away. We've called him the prodigal son. But uh, maybe you've seen or read uh, Tim Keller's book, The Prodigal God. Uh, it, it, it won't surprise you to know that if you were to look up this word, uh, then, uh, then you would see that prodigal actually means, the definition of prodigal means lavish or recklessly extravagant. So certainly the son's actions were, were reckless when he took his entire inheritance and, and spent it on what scripture calls wild living, right, until it ran out. But as, as Keller writes in his book and, and others have, have, uh, have stated, I, I think there's an argument to be made that actually the father's actions in this story are even more prodigal or lavish and extravagant than his son's. Now, I don't, I don't know what was going on in this young man's life that, that caused such a falling out with his family, but in essence, this boy uh, told his dad, I wish you're, you were dead, but since you're not, at least give me my money, uh, my share, and uh, I'm out of here. I mean, just the fact that the father went ahead and gave it to him was, was extravagant. He wouldn't have had to do that. He, he could, have, could have disowned the boy and kicked him out, and that was that. But, but, uh, but from the start in this story, we see uh, that this father is no ordinary father. When instead of investing uh, those funds or purchasing wisely, this younger son packed up and took off to sow his wild oats. And the passage uses the term squandered. Uh, it it ta- talks about his living as wild. Later in the story, there's reference to prostitutes. Wh- whatever the details, we see that this, this son's portion of the family fortune was wasted, recklessly spent, soon gone. And the young man found himself on a farm slopping pigs, not exactly the primary place for a good kosher Jewish boy, right? Slopping pigs. But in the mud and in the slop, this, this uh, younger son pondered his life and the mess that he'd made of it and didn't want to fight the pigs for food. And he decided to go home and maybe his dad would have pity on him and at least pull him, bring it, let him stay there as a servant. But knowing that even that would be a stretch after what he had done. So that's the picture of the son who has run off meanwhile. So you, you, maybe if this is a, a, a TV show or a movie, we kind of zap back and meanwhile, this is what's going on over here. We get the impression that the father is at home and he's watching every day, right? It's, it's like what we saw in the stories of the lost sheep and the lost coin, although the father didn't, didn't run after the son and, and find him and force him to come back uh, but because uh, that, that son had to choose to do that. And so instead of chasing after him, uh, the, this father just kept watching, hoping, praying, wishing. In verse 20, 
we see that the son is making his way back down those roads to the family farm and the father saw him, quote, while he was still a long way off. Pretty safe to say that this father had been hoping each day that his son would come home. Uh, just imagine, you can picture it in, in, in your mind's eye, uh, this father coming out of the house each morning, scanning the horizon, right? I, I can see him stopping several times a day as he's in the fields and, and tending to the tasks of the farm, looking up and, and looking at the roads to see if today might be the day when his son decided to come home. Instead of being filled with hurt and rage and anger and bitterness, this father was recklessly wasting his love and hope on a son who probably would never return the favor. He was praying and hoping and wishing for the day that his son would come home. And then we see in Jesus' story as he's telling this this crowd of sinners with with, uh, uh, Pharisees around the edges, he says, and then one day it it happened. He scanned the horizon, uh, looked at the road, and he saw a long way off this this figure making his way slowly. And there's something different about this guy, different than, than others who might come down the roads from time to time. He's dirty and disheveled, walking wearily, and, and, and yet there was something familiar, something this father could tell uh, that uh, in the way he walked or the way he looked. Uh, and, and so, you know, this, this dad, could it be? Uh, should I really hope? Uh, I, I think maybe. And so what did he do? He ran. This, this father recklessly dropped, I don't know, the plow or the rake or the cattle feed or whatever he had. He dropped whatever he was in his hands and, and he took off as fast as an old man could take off across the fields and down the road. And, uh, and as he ran, uh, he could see, as, as he got closer, this uh, hollow version of this son that had taken off before I guess in my mind's eye, I see him slowing his pace only slightly as they, as they get close and then maybe almost tackling his son, swinging him around, shouting his name, son, you've come home, you're home, you're finally home, you're home, you're home. Years ago, I was introduced to, um, to Henry Nouwen's book, The Return of the Prodigal Son. It was inspired by, uh, by Rembrandt's painting with the same name. Go ahead and, and put that up there. Maybe you've seen that before. You see the, 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 the son bowing, uh, and, and if, if you were up close, you could see the, uh, uh, the disheveled appearance. His shoes, one shoe's completely off, and the other is almost off. And the father is hugging him. The older brother's over here, some servants in the background. Uh, Rembrandt's painting of this moment this moment when, uh, uh, when, when the, the father and son are reunited. Just, just, just a few weeks ago, I uh, was digging through a, a, a bin, and uh, this is the original. No, it's just kidding. And it was only five bucks. Can you believe that? No. Um, the orig- so this has been hanging on my, uh, on my wall for the past couple of months. Uh, Nowen wrote, wrote a whole book, if you can get your hands on that book, as, uh, as he, someone had, had gifted him with a print of this, and uh, as he uh, meditated and studied and looked at that and, and looked into some things, uh, he realized, and, and, and so much to learn, uh, not just from the painting, but the, the whole story itself. So if you can get your hands on that book, uh, uh, do it. But... Um, there's something special about the fact that this one is is kind of beat up, and it was down in the bottom of the of the uh, the, the bin, and uh, and it was half price, and uh, it was just I, I you know had to dig down in and uncover and read. There's something something there in that story that that makes it extra special, uh, reminding me daily of uh, of the story of 
of the, the lost son, the lost sons, and our prodigal God. So this boy hadn't expected that kind of homecoming, right? In his wildest dreams, he, he, he was just going to maybe be able to stay because he, his father might let him stay and be a, be a farmhand. And so, so he recited his, uh, his speech that he'd been preparing, uh, probably practiced in front of the pigs in the, in the, in the uh, pig pen. Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I have no, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. His dad continued his recklessly extravagant ways and in essence said, ridiculous, we're having a party. Uh, it's time to, to, to bring out the veal cutlets, uh, turn up the stereo. Uh, my boy is back, let's have a great party. And as you've listened to me recount that story, maybe you can, you can relate a little bit. Maybe at some point in your life you took off to a distant country far from God and his goodness and you know that, that uh, maybe you came to a point or maybe that's where you feel you are now and you come to a point uh, that experiencing uh, that life is, uh, is, is perhaps empty compared to what you've known or what you've heard about life with God is like. Sin always takes us far away from God, far away from home, far away from the joy-filled, abundant life that he desires for. I'm wondering if, if that's you today in this room, online, wherever. I, I'm wondering if, if maybe there's something still gnawing at you, uh, speaking to you around the edges. Maybe, maybe just a little voice. Maybe it's just that little hungering for that life with God. See, we all have a tendency to run off and to get lost. I think... One big thing that helped that son get up out of that pig trough and, uh, and, and head back home was that he knew his father's character. He, it, it was his father's kindness and his willingness to forgive. I, this boy, I, maybe I'm just conjecturing here, I don't know, but this boy had probably seen it a hundred times growing up. Uh, his father was generous and compassionate and, and no doubt had extended grace and forgiveness over the years to, to, uh, uh, to this boy's mother, his, his, his wife, and, and to, to the two boys and, and also to the uh, hired hands and to strangers. Uh, I think it was the kindness of the father that drew the son back home. He knew his father's character. He knew what his father was like. And I wonder if a skewed view of our heavenly father keeps lost people away from him because they think he's going to be judgmental and, and, uh, and bring down the hammer on them for all the things that they've squandered. There's a little phrase tucked into Romans 2.14. It says it's God's, quote, kindness that leads us to repentance. God's kindness leads us to repentance. What if, what if we began to realize that God is a God of kindness, not condemnation? What if, and what if uh, those of us who are living life with God, what, what, if, what if we began to see ourselves as agents of the kindness of God? <laughs> that, that we're extending God's kindness and love in the world where we, oh, as I read the Bible over and over again, the, the, the grace and the kindness of God is emphasized and highlighted even more than the wrath and judgment of God. I mean, that, that's not to say that, that, that sin isn't a big deal. I mean, he, God judges our sin and, and, and we have to have respect for him and we need to follow, uh, follow his directions for living. The Bible is very clear 
clear. Holiness is expected. We need to follow him. We need to, to, to do what he says. But, but, but we also need to realize that God's grace is always ready. He is always looking, always searching. Another major theme through all three of these uh, stories in Luke 15 is, is and we uh, pulled out the, uh, um, the theological terminology a couple weeks ago, uh, God's prevenient grace. We talked about it in membership class the last couple of weeks, so just continuing to sit in the front of mind for me, but it's the grace of God that goes before before we ever recognize we need the grace of God, he is already looking for us. He is already seeking after us. He's already uh, uh, wanting to restore relationship with us. Even if we fall into sin, the moment we turn around and head for home, God is running to meet us with open arms. We don't deserve it. It doesn't make sense. Uh, But Jesus' main point in this parable is that God is prodigal. He is recklessly extravagant and lavish. So much, so much that it appears he is wasting his love on his son. And that is exactly what the older brother thought. (laughs) You are wasting what in the world is going on here, right? We, we tend to, over the years, uh, we focused on that, that uh, uh, younger son coming home and that story, and, and that's a, a, a huge portion of this. But the final uh, uh, few verses of this passage also have significance for us because uh, the father looked around at that party and his oldest son wasn't there. This is the son who hadn't rebelled. He hadn't run off. He'd stayed, but he wasn't at the party. And so the father went to him kind of significant he didn't just stick around and wait for the boy to come to him but he sought him out as well and and when they talked it became obvious that although the older son had had been in the household all of his life never outwardly rebelling he had also failed to truly experience a full life with the father he he chose instead to to harbor bitterness and anger and frustration toward his wayward brother and, and even toward his his reckless extravagant father he wasn't looking forward to his, his brother coming home. He wasn't out in the field scanning the horizon. He had pretty much written him off. It, it seems like his, he was glad his brother was gone. It, it was this holier-than-thou kind of mentality. I mean, at least I'm not like him. And, and this is where it's important, again, that we recognize that crowd that Jesus was talking to. Those, those sinners probably would relate a lot to that, that younger son right? And uh, then the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, who were much like the older brother. So Jesus was talking to everybody in this story. And, and, and as the story winds down, we don't quite get resolution because uh, we don't know if the older brother ever came around. Uh, the, the father talks to him and, and, and lays it all out, but uh, we don't know whether he ever came around. In a very real sense, although, although this older son never left the property, he was more lost than his wayward brother because he didn't turn back to embrace the relationship with his father. Unfortunately, there is a, a, a danger as we grow closer to God that we not only grow holy, but we can slip into becoming holier than thou, right? It's easy to develop a, an us versus them mentality, the insiders, the outsiders, the found and the lost, right? And, and uh, whether we know it or not, it comes off as though we're looking down our noses at people who aren't yet in the church, and, and, and that's not effective in drawing anyone to God. The, the stingy, self-focused attitude of the older brother is anything but kind and attractive. 
In fact, it's the polar opposite of the extravagant love of God that we are called to extend to the community around us. So I wonder how prodigal we are when it comes to seeking those who are lost in our spheres of influence. It can be so easy to drift toward judgment, waiting for people to get themselves together and clean themselves up before we welcome them in. Uh, Are we really actively reaching out in love to those who need Jesus? Are we we running to the lost? Not just tolerating, but, but wholeheartedly running to and embracing people. It's messy dealing with people and the pig pens where sin has placed them, right? It's easy to distance ourselves from them, to, to see ourselves as, as the Savior on the white horse sweeping in to save the day. But, but before we'll ever be effective in drawing people to God through, through uh, allowing his kindness and generosity to flow through us, we have to recognize that, that we have been recipients of that same grace and kindness ourselves. Uh, as one person once said, we are all patients in the same hospital. We're all sinners in need of the extravagant grace of a lavish prodigal God. And as we receive that kindness and grace and we are filled with it, we share it with whomever God brings our way. Lost people matter to God. Ernest Hemingway wrote a short story called Capital of the World. And in it, he tells of a wayward young man named Paco. Paco's relationship with his father uh, in the story had deteriorated and, and things were said and, and Paco ran away from home and was living in the, on the streets of Madrid, Spain. In the story, Paco's father regretted their falling out and, and wanted to restore the relationship, but he had no way of, of, of knowing where Paco, Paco was or how to track him down and, 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 and how to find him in such a big city. And, and finally, in a, in a last desperate attempt to find him, Paco's father put an ad in the Madrid newspaper, and the ad read this, Dear Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana at noon on Tuesday. All is forgiven. Love, Papa. As Hemingway's story uh, goes, the following Tuesday at noon when Paco's father arrived at the hotel, he was not prepared for what he found. Paco, such a a common name in Spain, and, and there were over 800 young men named Paco waiting for their fathers, waiting for the forgiveness and reconciliation that they desperately sought. It's a, it's a common theme, being lost, needing to be found being separated from the Father and wanting to come home, rebelling, needing forgiveness. There was was more than one lost son in this parable, and I don't know which one you identify with more. The wayward, rebellious younger son or the judgmental, self-righteous older son, both were far from God, and both encountered an extravagant father who came to them, meeting them where they were, and encouraging them to live an extravagant life with him. Father God, I pray that you would move and work in our hearts today. Lord, if, if, if we need to uh, uh, make things right with you, if we need to restore a relationship, if we need to uh, get rid of uh, bad attitudes, Lord, I just pray that you can give us a vision of your lavish, extravagant love this morning. I pray that you can help us to know that you, you extend your grace so completely 
that, that even when we have turned our back on you and, and headed to a distant land, that you are always pursuing us. That, that even when we, we, we stick around but our attitude isn't always right and, and we're, we're, we're harboring things in our hearts that, that you still come to us and you want us to have a, a close, intimate relationship with you. Lord, I just pray that you would move and work in our hearts and lives today as we open ourselves up to your spirit. In Jesus' name.